Matthew chapter 6 is the portion of God's Word that we turn to tonight. As we're doing that, I would like to say that I'm thankful to be here tonight. It took me a half hour to stare into the audience and see everybody, and I didn't know what it would do to me. Many of the faces are the same. It's been almost five years since I've led worship here, since being your pastor. I'm thankful to be here tonight and that I have the opportunity to bring God's Word to you as a congregation again. So let's do that tonight by considering a portion of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And we'll read the entire chapter. The text for the sermon will be verses 25 through 32. This is God's Word in Matthew 6. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward." But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break forth nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, 
thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. Now begins the text. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall He not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things." So far the text, and then to conclude the chapter, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So far, God's Word. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God that we consider tonight in Matthew chapter 6 is, of course, part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. That title indicates where Jesus preached it. The theme of the sermon is that it pertains to the Kingdom of Heaven. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes clear who the citizens of that Kingdom are in the well-known Beatitudes, and then he goes on throughout the remainder of the sermon to describe what is the life of the kingdom of heaven and what is the calling of the citizens of that kingdom of heaven. When we come to the end of chapter 6, one of the ways broadly that we can categorize the teaching of Jesus here is that he warns against two dangers for the Christian as it pertains to going forth in their life here on this earth. On the one hand, there is the danger of living with a covetous heart. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, "...lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal." As we go forth in our life here on this earth, we need to hear that warning. 
And the warning is that we do not live our life for the purpose of amassing the treasures of this earth. And we do not live our life for the purpose of experiencing all of the pleasures that this earth has to offer. And Jesus concludes that section with the powerful word in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Don't live to lay up treasures here below, but lay up treasures in heaven. So that's a danger on one side, that we live earthly life with a covetous heart. But then there's also a danger on the other side. And that's the danger that's addressed in our text. And this too, we need to hear as Christians who are making our way through life's pilgrimage. And that is the danger that we live with a anxious heart. That we go down life's pathway worrying about our earthly life. What we will eat what we will drink, and what we will put on. And that's the word of our text. And that's what we consider tonight. Let's do so under the theme, take no thought for your life. And we'll look at just these two main ideas. In the first place, the meaning of it. And then in the second place, we'll explain the reasons why we are not to take thought for our life. The Lord Jesus Christ is the preeminent teacher. And when we consider the words that He preached and taught, we see these marvelous principles of teaching. And one of them that comes through in our passage is the carefully placed repetition of a main idea. And that's what we have in our text with the repeated words, take no thought. Let's point that out from the passage right at the beginning in verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought. And then if you go down further in the passage to verse 31, you read, therefore take no thought. And even though we're not going to hone in on the last two verses of the chapter, he repeats that same idea in verse 34. Take therefore no thought. Jesus wants us to hear this word in these verses. Take no thought. That is the main idea. When Jesus says take no thought for your life, that does not mean what we may, on the surface, think it means as it is stated in our King James Version of the Bible. Take the thought does not mean, of course, that we are not to think about our life. At face value, that's what it says. Take no thought. Don't think about your life. What you eat. What you drink. What you put on. And that's not the idea of what Jesus is saying here. In fact, just the opposite is true. As we well know, we have to think about our life. We have to think about what we are going to eat, what we are going to drink, and the clothes that we are going to wear. The Bible is filled with instruction about thinking about these things. Jesus, after all, teaches in this very chapter about 
prayer. And one of the main petitions of prayer is, give us this day our daily bread. We offer that prayer thinking about the fact that we live an earthly life and we have needs here on this earth. And so the point is not, don't think about earthly life. The point, rather, is that there is a right way and there is a wrong way, a sinful way, to think about that earthly existence. And Jesus, in our passage, is warning against the wrong way. Because the main idea of the take no thought, very simply, is do not worry. Do not be anxious about your life, about what you eat, drink, and what you will put on. That's the idea. It's not don't think about. Rather, it's don't worry about your life in this regard. What's striking is the root idea of that word in the text that's repeated, take no thought. That root idea of the word refers literally to that which is divided or that which is separated. And that's striking and it's fascinating because it gives you a little insight into how the the worry and anxiety of the text manifests itself in our lives. Now there are obviously degrees of this in people's experiences, but the fact is to one degree or another, we all experience this, and this is instruction that applies to every single one of us here tonight. And the way that it manifests itself is revealed in that root idea of to be separated or to be divided. From this perspective, what is it like to be anxious and to worry about things? What it's like is that we have divided thoughts, racing thoughts. A thought over here about this thing, and then a thought over there about that thing, and then back to this thing, and then to another thing. And in that mind which feels like it's swirling, there's no peace, and there's no serenity, and there's no calm, but just the opposite as we experience it in our hearts and our minds. And that's the idea. Don't do that. But right there, you have a hint at what the answer and antidote to anxiety and worry and taking thought for your life is. Whereas what it is is to be, to be divided and to be separated and, and all of that, it points us to get an idea of where we're going to go in the sermon to what the answer and antidote is, which is to have a singular mind. A fixed mind on the right thing. And ultimately, what that is, is Jehovah God into who He is to you and to me in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is in the passage driving home this idea of don't be anxious with regard to a particular aspect of our existence. And that has to do, of course, with our earthly life. In the opening words of the text, 
We read, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor for your body, what ye shall put on. There's all sorts of things in this life that we may be prone to worry about. What Jesus is driving home here is our earthly life. Our existence as creatures on this earth. When Jesus uses the language of what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear, that's representative of all of the things that we need for our life here on this earth to continue. It's the same idea as what Jesus taught in the fourth petition when He said, give us this day our daily bread. And every time we hear the fourth petition preached, we learn that that bread is representative of all that we need for earthly life. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Don't worry about your life and all that is required in order for that life to continue here below. Jesus understands that this is a word that we need to hear. We're not to the second point yet. We'll get to the reasons why we are not to take thought. But here is the reason we need to hear this instruction. And Jesus understands why we need to hear this particular word. And that comes through even in the fact that it comes in the form of an imperative. The form of the text is a command. Take no thought, Jesus said. In other words, the approach that we have tonight as those who hear this word is that this is not something optional. This is not a take it or leave it type of word. This is not something of tertiary significance in the Christian's life. No, Jesus says, this is the word to you. And this is how you need to hear it. As a command, don't do this. Don't be anxious about your earthly existence. And He gives it to us in that form exactly because we need it. We need to hear it in that way. Precisely because we can be prone very much to doing the exact opposite and worrying about our earthly existence. And there are portions of these verses that illuminate that idea. And one of them is when we come down to verse 31, Jesus says at the end of that, O ye of little faith, I'll read the entire verse. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall He not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? And when Jesus says it in that way, He's giving insight into why this is important for us to hear and necessary for us to hear. Remember who this instruction is for. At the beginning of the sermon in the introduction, I said that this is instruction by Jesus concerning the kingdom of heaven. 
And the opening verses of the Sermon on the Mount describe the citizens of that Kingdom of Heaven. And then he goes on and says this is life in the Kingdom of Heaven and callings in the Kingdom of Heaven. So that when we read in this passage, O ye of little faith, Jesus isn't talking about someone outside of these walls. Of course not. He's talking about those who are within the Kingdom of Heaven. That what can characterize them at times is that of little faith. A little faith that will manifest itself in the anxiety about earthly existence. O ye of little faith. And take note of that. Faith. God has given faith. Faith by which we believe. We believe the Word of God. We believe that God is our God. We believe in Jesus Christ who is the heart and center of that Word. We believe the Gospel. We believe the promises. He says, faith. And we praise God for that faith. It's a gift. It's a gift that God has worked in the hearts of His children such that dead sinners are made alive with the life of Jesus. And with that life of Christ, they believe. And they lay hold upon the Gospel and the promises of God. Faith. But at times, little faith. Because on this side of the grave, the reality is that we still have a sinful flesh. And what that sinful flesh does is it leads us to take our eyes off of God. What it does is it leads us to be divided in our thoughts and in our mind. What it leads us to be is those who only see the horizontal and the here and now. What it leads us to do is to take thought and worry about our earthly existence. And the fact is that this speaks to all of us to varying degrees at times in our life. And it doesn't take long to to realize that that is the case. Remember, it's not just about food and clothes. We all have food and clothes. More than we would ever need. But that doesn't mean that we don't worry about our earthly life. Because there's all sorts of things that speak to this idea. Will there be enough in the bank account to pay the bills in a couple of months? Will the industry that I'm working in continue to have work for me? Will the one skill that I have developed in this life and that has made me a living be obsolete because of the advances of technology as time goes on? Will the stock market crash again? And at that right moment when I'm relying upon that which I have saved and invested in the latter part of my life. Will I go to that doctor and when he comes into that room, will I hear a diagnosis for which there is no treatment and is no care? Will I be able to give to this kingdom cause? Because if I do, it's going to eat into what I have saved and what I wanted to do with what I have saved. And the list just goes on and on and on 
and on with regard to the types of questions that can fill our minds that leads to the divided thoughts and all of a sudden there is the indwelling anxiety about earthly life. But we can go a little bit deeper and farther from the text as to why this can be the way that we are. Jesus says in verse 32, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Talking about eating and drinking and the clothes, and he says, for all these things do the Gentiles seek. This is what is characteristic of a Gentile. One who is not a child of God. And the thing is, we still have that nature which is exactly what drives the Gentiles. It's a godless life. And that's what's in us at times. Where the way in which we live is as though God does not exist. And the only way that we are looking is horizontal and down. And the only purpose of our living has to do with what we see horizontally and what we see when we look down. And when that is the case, when all we are doing, like the Gentiles do, all we are doing is looking horizontally at the here and below and looking down and not looking up, this is the result of that. It's either on the one hand that we live for the here and now, we have covetous hearts that want to amass the riches below and the treasures here below. Or on the other hand, because we know this is all that there is, we live as though this is all that there is. And one is filled with the anxieties of the mind because this is all that we see. Of little faith, like the Gentiles, where all we are is horizontal and downward instead of upward with the eyes of faith. And so, the Lord Jesus, knowing that on this side of the grave, even as those who have faith, regenerated, children of the King, in the Kingdom of Heaven, we still need to hear this. So that that faith is strengthened. That faith is quickened. And the quickening and strengthening of that faith is such that we don't just look horizontally and we don't just look down, but tonight God uses the Word so that we all lift our chins up, so to speak, and know who God is. And know who He is as it pertains to the mundane, everyday life of our earthly existence. And we pray that that's what this does tonight. So that when you wake up tomorrow morning, you wake up having been in God's house with the strength and faith looking up. And when in the middle of the day, the mind starts to go places about the treatment or the sickness or the bank account or the job or the economy, the mind goes up. And at the end of the day, when you look back and you know i got to do it again tomorrow, the mind goes up. Because we're not like the Gentiles who are godless in their thinking and living, but we are Christians who have faith, whose faith is strengthened, and which faith constantly 
is brought back to who our God is in Jesus Christ. And that leads then to the second point of the sermon. The reasons why, as believers, we are not to worry about our earthly life. There's a lot here in these verses. And in order to separate it out and do so in a way that's helpful and possibly memorable, I'd like to divide it into these three ideas as we seek to pull these out of the instruction of Jesus in the text. Let's start with this. Let's start with the one that, that is foundational. The one that the other two will lead to when you understand it correctly. Number one is this. Don't worry. Because you have a God who is your heavenly Father. Before we get into the pictures of creation, which we'll get to, let's look at this first. Something that Jesus comes back to as He weaves it in all of these verses. That you have a God, and this is who your God is. Your heavenly Father. Verse 26, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. And then verse 32, the conclusion, For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Beloved, each of those words is very important. The three words there are your heavenly Father. Each of those are important. Take it in reverse. Number one, He's Father. The one that will care for us is Father. It's wrapped up in the very essence of what it means to be a father to do what Jesus says in the text, namely, care for one in their life. We understand that from earthly fathers. A good, faithful, earthly father cares for those under his care, the children of the home. There's good examples of that. There's bad examples, sinful examples where fathers are completely derelict in their duty. But whether it is a good and godly example or a sinful example, one thing remains true, and that is that there is a weakness in sin manifest in it no matter what. But not this. Not here. Not with God. Because God is God. And God is Father. And as Father... He knows exactly what He is doing. And He knows exactly how to do what He has purposed to do. Father. Heavenly Father. Number two. Heavenly. Incredibly important because that word heavenly draws our attention to Uh, that contrast that I mentioned a moment ago, that He's not like us. He's heavenly. He is the God of all things. He is the, the glorious God 
He is the One who by His power created everything. He is the One therefore who has all power and all might and all ability. And that's the difference, is it not? I as an earthly father may look at my children and want to do something to care for them. But I'm a man. I'm a creature. I'm finite. I can't always do what I want to do. But never is it the case that God as Father would want to do something as He sees fit to care for His children, but then can't do it. That's impossible because He's God. As Heavenly Father, He has power. As Heavenly Father, He has knowledge. That's the theme at the end in verse 32. He knows what we have need of. He knows because He's not an earthly Father who may think He knows, but doesn't always know for sure exactly what is needed. He's Heavenly Father. And beloved, we don't want it any other way. This is the way that we want it. God knows. God knows what's best. I may think I know what's best as it pertains to my earthly existence. I may think this would be the best thing in my life to get this job at this time, to have this treatment, and to have this path forward, to have this amount of money at this particular time. I may think I know what's best, but I don't. I don't. Because I'm a sinner. I'm a creature. And we don't want it that way. We don't want to be the ones in control. We want it this way. God is in control. God is Heavenly Father. He knows exactly what we need. Father, Heavenly Father, but then there's that third word. Your Heavenly Father. And people of God, that word your is so important because it takes all of our eyes right now and it directs all of our eyes to one main place. And that is the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ. Because the only way that God can say to us, I am your Father. And the only way that you can know that this grand and glorious and awesome God is your Father is because of that one place to which all of our eyes have been directed right now, and that is the cross and blood of Jesus. By nature, because of our sins, we belong to an entirely different family. By nature, because of our sins and the way that we came into this world, if we would have said, Father, we would not have been talking to the One described in our text. When we would have said, Father, we would have been talking to the devil himself. And the One that would have said, this is who I am to you. Father would not be the One of our text, but it would be Satan himself. That's what we deserve. But the fact that God says, I am your Father, and the fact that we can address Him as Father is because this God has said, I love My people so much. I love them from all eternity. 
And this is My love for them. I'm going to take those who are unworthy sinners, sinners that I justly could punish everlastingly in hell, I'm going to take those sinners and from all eternity, I'm going to give them to My Son Jesus. And My Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to take their sins upon Himself and He's going to go to the cross and He's going to bear God's wrath and He's going to come to the end of it and God will declare that the work is finished so that these people who by nature and by what they deserve belong to the family of Satan, now through the blood of Jesus and His imputed righteousness are My children. So that I call them son and daughter and they call Me Father. This is the love of God for you. This is God's attitude toward you. This is the supreme manifestation of the goodness of God to you, an undeserving sinner. And that grand reality of who God is to you in Jesus has everything to say. Everything to say about everything in your life. And part of that everything in your life is exactly this. The fact that I'm going to wake up and I need food and drink and clothes for my earthly existence. Because when I wake up and I look up and I know that this God is Father and I know this God is Father only because He loved me so much as I see it on the cross, when I wake up and know that, then I think about food. Then I think about drink. Then I think about clothes. Then I think about the stock market. And then I think about my job. And then I think about my health. And no matter what's going on with any of those things, this I know. That God loves me. And that God knows exactly what I need. If He has done this, and if He is all-powerful and all-knowing, and if He has the beginning of my life to the end of my life marked out, and He knows that the whole purpose of this is one way to bring me to heaven, I can be absolutely sure that this God will give me exactly what I need for my earthly existence. Knowing who this God is in Jesus has everything to say about the anxieties and fears of our earthly life. He's our Heavenly Father. He's redeemed us in the blood of Jesus. He's created us and given us life in a body and that's a striking way in which the passage begins. The first thing that, that Jesus says at the end of verse 25 is, is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Drawing our attention to who God is and what He has done. The point of those words is that before you think about 
food, and before you think about clothes, means that God uses to keep our life, there's something more basic. What's more basic is that there's life. A body. And this is who God is. He's created life. He's the one who makes life. He's the one who sustains life. A body. Before you think about food and clothes for that body, think about the body itself. The reason the heart beats, the lungs are working, the neurons are firing, the hands have movement, is because God is at work. This is who God is. And in everything in life, it always comes back to know who God is. Know personally who God is. Know who He is in Jesus. Know His power. Know His love. Know His goodness. He's the One who's created body and life. He's the One who's redeemed in Jesus Christ. And therefore, He is the One who will care for us in all of our earthly needs. Reason number one that we do not worry is exactly because of who your God is to you in Jesus. Reason number two we can derive from the pictures in creation that the Lord Jesus sets before us. That obviously is a huge part of of the text. And in order to introduce this, take note of a a couple of things. Number one, take note of the way in which Jesus begins each of these sections. He starts in verse 26 with the word, Behold. So verse 26 talks about the fowls of the air. So this is regarding food. And he starts that and he says, Behold. And then go down to verse 28. Now talking about clothes, raiment. And the way that he begins that is, Consider. 26, Behold. 28, Consider. Two words that when you, when you read through the, the passage, you can go by pretty quickly. Understandably so. But they're worth stopping at and thinking about. Jesus is saying here, behold, consider. In other words, think carefully about. Ponder and meditate upon what we're going to talk about. The birds of the air, the flowers of the field, the grass of the earth. And there's something very powerful there. What Jesus is saying is, you're surrounded, people of God, all the time by the physical that was created in order to point to the spiritual and heavenly. When God made everything at the beginning, when God said at the beginning, I'm going to make uh, grass to grow, I'm going to make flowers that will bloom, and I'm going to make birds of the hair. God did that so that we as Christians, with the eyes of faith, through the lens of the Scriptures, will see those birds, will see that grass, and will see those flowers, and will learn something. We'll be reminded of something. What we'll be reminded of is this truth. 
But the point is, behold, consider. In the busyness of life, sometimes stop. When you go outside, sometimes just stare. And right now, we see this all around us. So that when you go outside and you just watch in those trees, those birds, and you do so as a Christian, and you do so in this week or in this month as maybe this Word is written upon the heart, God uses that. And He uses that to expose the the folly that we're going to talk about in a moment. Look at the birds. Look at those birds. There they are. The worms are there to eat. Who am I to question whether this God will care for me? So that in the first place, behold and consider. But then in the second place, to build off of what I just said a moment ago, the argument of Jesus in the passage is the argument of the less to the greater. So He's using a certain type of teaching here. And the type of teaching is to say there is something about a lesser thing that if it is true, proves that it must certainly be true for this greater thing. The less of the text is the birds, the grass, the flowers. If something is true about these things which are less birds, glass, and flowers, something must certainly be true about the greater. The greater is you and me. And the point is very simple. If God does this for the less, if He cares for grass, flowers, and birds, will He not do the same for the greater? And remember who the greater are. The greater are the ones that He said, I love so much, I send My Son to the death of the cross for them. If God does it for the creatures of the earth, will He do it for the blood-bought children in Jesus Christ? From the less to the greater. He does this with two examples. As we said earlier regarding food, He points us to the birds of the air. Verse 26, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? The birds, they don't sow, they don't reap. We do. We sow, we reap, we gather into barns. The birds don't even do that. But yet, our Heavenly Father cares for them. And it's worth pointing out in this connection that Jesus, of course, is not teaching here that we are not to work. To be industrious. To use the things God intended to be used to care for our earthly needs. Work, the diaconate, fellow believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to help one another in our times of need. No, we are called to be faithful. God has made that very clear. Right at the beginning with Adam. This is how you're going to live. You're going to work. You're going to sweat. But in that way, you will be provided for. Paul said, if you don't work, you don't 
eat. And so the point is not we trust our Heavenly Father and act like a bird on a branch with our mouth open expecting worms to fall from heaven into their mouth. In fact, in the illustration of the birds themselves, there's point here. Because they themselves are industrious and active. The point is, be faithful. Be faithful in your work. Be faithful in giving to the church. Be faithful as a diaconate. Be faithful in caring for fellow brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Be faithful. And as you are faithful, don't worry. Don't worry. Because the God who loves you, who knows the beginning to the end, the God who is bringing you along life's pathway ultimately to bring you home to Himself, knows exactly what you need and will provide for you exactly at every given moment the right thing in your life. And then he directs us to, in the second example, the the flowers and the grass, verses 28-30. through Why take ye thought for raiment? This is regarding clothes. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall He not much more clothe you? The flowers, they're not toiling and spinning. They're not making their own clothes. But yet they're arrayed. And there's a striking point there making the contrast to Solomon. They're beautifully arrayed. So that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. A a very striking point about the inherent beauty of God's flowers. You can't replicate, in a certain sense, the beauty of God's flowers. God cares for the flowers of the field. And then the grass. The grass which is here today and then used for the furnace and the fire. Yet, the Lord always sees to it that the grass grows and is cared for. And the same argument applies. If God does that for them, how much more will He do it for us? Don't worry. Because you know who God is to you. Don't worry. Because if He does it for these things, how much more will He do it for you? And number three, don't worry. Because in the end, it does nothing. In the end, it is foolishness. Driven home to us in the text, in verse 27, when Jesus says, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? Pointing out by that question the utter folly of worrying. Stature. Stature in this text can mean either the height of a person or it can refer to the span of one's life. And I believe in the passage Jesus is getting at the latter. The length of one's life. The point of the passage is not which of you by worrying can add 18 inches, a cubit, to your height. Relative to a person's height, that would be a massive amount. Six foot to seven and a half. That's huge. 
Which is why I believe it's the other. That stature doesn't refer to one's height, but it refers to the length of one's days. The span of one's life. And then all of a sudden the point is this. Which of you, considering the whole of one's life, all the years of one's life, which of you, if you lay that out, so to speak, can add one cubit just 18 inches. There you see the point is completely different. With height, that's a massive amount. In the span of one's days, it's just 18 inches. And that's the idea. Which of you by worrying can add, to put it differently, one hour of your life? One minute of your life? One second of your life. And by asking the question, Jesus is making clear what the answer to it is. You can't. It doesn't do any good. It doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't mean that your earthly existence is going to become longer because you have dwelled upon in anxiety and fear this or that or another thing. And so by asking the question Jesus is saying, here's another reason. Don't worry. Beloved, to end, we simply drive home the main idea. Whereas to worry is to have divided thoughts. Scattered thoughts. That cause all kinds of emotions and difficulties. God says in this text, be singularly minded. Be singularly focused. Live your life with the eyes of faith set upon your God as who that God is to you in Jesus Christ and His love. And with the eyes of faith that see that God always not just looking horizontally and down, but looking up. Know that if He does it for the birds, flowers, and grass, and if it doesn't do any good in the end because it can't add a cubit to your stature, don't worry. He loves you. He cares for you. He knows exactly what He's doing. And the God who knows the beginning to the end will see to it that at just the right time, the earthly existence that He has cared for will come to an end. Because that God at that time, no later and no sooner, but at that time will say, you finished the course. You ran the race. And now, you come home to me. So we live to live as Christ. We live with our eyes on Christ knowing it affects everything about our life here below. And knowing that when we come to the end of that, to die is gain. To be with the very Christ who reigned and ruled over it all. To see to it that at just the right time, He says, Come home to me. Take no thought, beloved, for your life.
Amen. Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word. Truth that we need all of our life long. Write it upon our hearts. Encourage us by it. And may it be food for the soul in the week to come. Help us, Father, not to worry, but to trust. For Jesus' sake, Amen.